This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is uh, Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. John Hamer, thank you for joining me in the trenches. You're welcome, Jeremy. It's good to be back again. Thank you for asking. Uh, let me start with a quote from your book, The Falsification of History. History is created, manipulated and written by those who are predominantly on the victorious side of the nation, which has supreme political and especially military dominance. Any truth which has the slightest potential of weakening their total hold over the masses is not tolerated. Any truth which can impact their power is squelched or cunningly hidden by them, usually in a manufactured media release to the unsuspecting public, often in a jovial manner to render the information a laughing matter and display it as harmless. That is a quote by former NASA astronaut Clark McClelland. Absolutely. Um, I think that most people understand that. Um, I mean, I'll just point out to the to the viewers that um, you know this book was written almost twelve years ago. I began it almost twelve years ago, and uh, you know things. I have changed my opinion on on certain things uh, over that period of time, but nevertheless, because I mean, I mean, I always take the view that. You know, I like to be open-minded about things, and when new information comes along, I'm quite happy to assimilate it into my knowledge base, rather than kind of present a, a, a an intransigent front and, and stick rigidly to my previous beliefs, no matter what. I mean, I, I don't believe that anyone should do that. So, just having said that, yes, um, I think most people understand that the world is not really what we've been taught and assumed all our lives to be true. Um, it's, you know, I think people are beginning to wake up and realize that censorship is ramp rampant. Anything that contradicts the, the, the narrative, you know, the, the, the narrative of the people who really run the world, and I don't mean governments by that, I mean the people who sit up here above governments, uh, governments just tend to be puppets, basically, uh, for a group of um, billionaires, who are the real rulers of the world. And so anything that, that goes against that agenda, and it is a very insidious ongoing agenda, tends to be uh, censored or vilified uh, by the by the media, which of course is under their control. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think you you know that, that quotation absolutely sums it up. Why should we falsify history? It's all about control, Jeremy. Um, there are only a few thousand of them. There are billions of us, absolute billions of us. So the only way that they can keep control and the only way they've been able to keep control throughout the millennia, you know, because this is not just a new phenomenon, this has been going on for many, many years. The only way that they're able to keep control over the, over the masses is by presenting a completely distorted view of reality and making us believe that we have no power and that's what it's all about um you know there, there are several things that they uh promulgate as being the truth which are patently fake and which are obviously covered in the book uh but uh, yeah i mean that the bottom line is that it's all about 
maintaining uh, maintaining power over us. I mean, they've tried various different methods over the years, you know, ranging from mass murder or genocide, if you like, mm. to coercion, mm. uh, to wars, uh, you know, all at their behest. But, you know, at the ultimate uh, answer to the question is really it's control. They need to be able to control us because if we were um, told the truth about, you know, for example, our own spiritual power, uh, which is another big thing which they deny us, um, then, you know, that everyone would realize what powerful spiritual beings we are and that would cause them a lot of problems. So they create this fake reality that we all live in and they do that you know, by promulgating masses and masses of things like false flags, like deceptions such as evolution, which we touched on just before we uh, we came on air, and many, many more, um, which are too numerous to mention. But you know, just a, I think it's safe to say that almost everything that we are taught at school and believe to be true—not everything, obviously, but almost everything is either totally false or partly false. I know it sounds, a, a, I know that's a, a very bold statement to make, but I am to believe it's true. I think a lot of people have come to realize that, though, in the last three years. Absolutely. Especially in the last three years, what's been going on. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, the, I think they, um, the events of the last three years have made people realize that we are being lied to on a massive scale. Uh, mm. Obviously, not everyone, but more and more people. You know, I, I overhear people in the in the street, in shops. You know, when I'm out and about, just catch snippets of conversations every now and again. People saying, "I don't understand why that what's happening here." You know what? You know what's really going on? You know, and you know, there's definitely a shift towards enlightenment, if you like. I mean, some people say it's waking up i don't i don't like that phrase personally um but i guess everyone knows what that means so yeah i do believe that people are slowly waking up um and i think this will be what actually turns the tide in the end the fact that um you know the, the majority of people will become aware of what the reality is and we will hold our hands up and say that's it we're not going to take it anymore there's also a correlation though between waking up and drinking more <laughs> <laughs> right okay this is an interesting theory <laughs> because because it just gets too much <laughs> yeah well yes uh, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's obviously the answer to our uh, our problems isn't it everyone has to drink more i think that's yeah that's a great assessment actually uh, just before we started recording i got a, a message from a friend of mine i don't want to mention his name um, he says, yeah, does the International Space Station exist? Right. Okay. Okay. Well, this is going off on a little tangent, isn't it? But, but I would, my answer to that would be, well, something exists up there, but I'm damn sure it's not the International Space Station. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an, uh, this is probably going to actually, uh, make me fall out of favor with some people but i i am an absolutely devout flat earther because i've researched this for many many years and i just don't believe in the paradigm that we're taught about the the spinning globe it just doesn't just doesn't make any sense i mean when i when i first started out down that road 
I actually, and I think this is true of a lot of people who believe in the flat earth uh, theory, I actually set out to prove that it was all nonsense and ended up thinking, my goodness, we've been lied to. We absolutely have been lied to. There isn't a single argument that the globe earthers can come up with that cannot be countered. Okay, and they come up with a lot of spurious stuff in much the same way as, as evolutionists. You know, um, there is nothing that they say that cannot be countered, um, you know, by, by those of us who oppose the evolutionary theory. Someone who claimed to be, and I absolutely believed it because I had a three hour conversation with him, he said he was the father of JK Rowling's child. Okay, because she was a single mother. Okay. And he told me this absolutely incredible story. Uh, and I just wish I'd recorded it all now, but of course I didn't. And then I couldn't get hold of him again. Next time I tried, I left it. I left it about six months, and I thought I must give that guy a ring. I tried to ring him, and his, his number was dead. So, but he did say at the time that he was being pursued because of he was trying to tell the truth about the J.K. Rowling story. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into details. So a little bit of detail about that. You can um, if you want. But, yeah, yeah. Well, the, he, he told me that the Harry Potter stories, or the series of Harry Potter stories, was conceived on a long delayed railway journey. And he was in a carriage with, in a compartment in a car carriage with uh, J.K. Rowling, who was his girlfriend at the time. I'm going back like, to the late 80s, early 90s now. Mm. Um, she was his girlfriend at the time. Um, a uh, and two people whose name escaped me now. Um, one of them was one of the Mitford sisters, who some people are aware of. Um, uh, Jessica Mitford and a few others. They were involved with Nazi Germany. I mean, they were very old at this point in time. And she, and she had married uh, one of the, this, this Mitford sister had had married a guy by the name of Bob Truhaft from memory. Now Bob Truhaft was a uh, a very prominent American lawyer throughout the latter part of the 20th century. Again, he's dead now, you know, mm. and we're going back 30 <clears throat> years or so. Um, and they thrashed out this story and it was based, and it was to introduce children into Satanism and to witchcraft and black magic. And that's, that was the purpose of the story. And, and JK Rowling was chosen not for her literary ability because she didn't actually write the book at all. She was just used as a front for it. Okay, this is what he told me. I'm not saying it's absolutely true because I can't vouch for it, but it, it seemed plausible and it seemed like a genuine guy. And uh, yeah, so there were several characters in there that were based on several real life characters, uh, such as Lord Voldemort. I mean, I don't even know the stories, to be honest, I've never read them. Lord Voldemort was based on the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, this guy claimed that the Duke of Edinburgh had, had, had made attempts on his life, uh, not on his, not on Duke of Edinburgh's life, on this guy they were speaking to's life, and that um, several of the characters represented real people. Now, um, uh, the, the True Haft Law Firm in America employed somebody called. Doris, and I can't remember her last name, I do apologise, um, but her nickname was Dobby. Now, there's a prominent character in the Harry Potter stories called called Dobby, and this was allegedly based upon this woman who they, just, they didn't like, they, they didn't like her at all. Doris somebody, I can't remember her name, but it's all, it's all in my book. Um, 
And uh, it, what's more, again, you know, this is, this is where connections come in. Everything is connected in this world, in this truth of world, everything is connected. I always say the world is like a 10 million piece jigsaw puzzle. And the more pieces you fit into that puzzle in your own mind, the clearer the picture becomes. <laughs> And then that then enables you to put in more and more pictures. And so, you know, as time goes on, the, the, the picture becomes a lot clearer because everything is just like a huge picture, a 10 million piece jigsaw puzzle, as I refer to it. Now, one of the um, one of the uh, employees, an intern in the 1960s of the True Haft law firm was a lady by the name of Hillary Rodham. Now, Hillary Rodham became Hillary Clinton. So, you know, everything is linked. I mean, I've not made a very good job of actually telling that story, to be honest, but that is that is the basis of it. And it, it all, uh, especially the, the indoctrinating children into Satanism and witchcraft, I think that is a very, very important thing. I and mean, it absolutely makes sense to me that they would do that because these people who control us, they are all basically practicing Satanists. The Satanists, Freemasons and Freemasons, High-ranking Freemasons are all Satanists, you know. I'm not talking about the rank and file, you know, the guy who lives down the road and he joins because he wants to make business contacts and all the rest of it. But the very senior high-ranking Freemasons are all practicing occultists and Satanists. And Freemasonry is based on on, on occult, occultist beliefs. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, rambled on a bit there. But that was the Harry Potter story, or, or the very bones of it. I've never completed... Harry Potter film I think I fell asleep in the very first one and that was about the extent yeah. of my Harry Potter journey that was about the probably the best thing you could have done <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm too scared to ask you about Lord of the Rings I'm not going to because I love that movie and I don't want you to ruin it for me Okay, well, I, honestly, I've not really looked into that, so you're quite safe. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, sh I'm sure there are some esoteric meanings behind it, but I've not really looked into it, to be honest, Jeremy. So, uh, but it, I mean, he was a great writer, Tolkien. I mean, you know, he, I think he had South African connections, actually, didn't he? Um, it was, I think he was born in Bloemfontein, which is one of our he? cities. Yeah. A good place to start as any would be the very first uh, chapter, which is Evolution. This is interesting. Okay, uh, what I'm looking at now, obviously you can't see it, but I'm looking. I do. A, I do an actually. I do a lot of stand-up presentations. Okay, so I go around the country doing talks at different conferences and different events. Okay, now the, on, I'm looking at my presentation on evolution now. Now, the thirty-third degree Supreme Council of Freemasonry in Paris actually uh, revealed in its minutes its promotion of evolution as a science, while they themselves actually laughed at the idea. And the minutes read as follows, and I will, I will read this, and it's a quote, and it's from uh, a publication called The Fundamental Philosophy of Atheistic Freemasonry, okay? And it says in there, it is with this object in view that we are constantly arousing a blind confidence in these theories. The intellectuals, without any logical verification, will put into effect all the information available from science, which our agents have cunningly pieced together for the purpose of educating their minds in the direction we want. 
Do not suppose for a minute that these are empty words. Think carefully of the successes we arranged for Darwinism. Now, and this continues. Uh, and this is a quote from New Age magazine in March 1922, so just over 100 years ago. And it says, the kingdom of atheistic Freemasonry will be established by evolution and the development of man himself. The false scientific ideology of evolution is a deception set in the 33rd degree atheistic Freemasonic lodges. Freemasons openly admit that they will use the scientists and the media, which are under their control, to present this deception as scientific fact, which even they find funny. Yeah, so that just sets the scene. That that gives you the background to where evolution began. Charles Darwin was a high-ranking Freemason, as was his grandfather Erasmus, and probably his father as well. And it was Erasmus Darwin who actually first actually began to promote the idea of man's origins being through evolution. And uh, I think Charles just took up the baton and he was encouraged to do so by a guy by the name of Thomas Henry Huxley. Now, Thomas Henry Huxley uh, had a famous uh, grandson, or two famous grandsons, Aldous Huxley, who wrote the, um, the uh, prophetic novel Brave New World, and Julian Huxley, who was one of the founders of the UN, as I say, everything's all connected, everything. The world's like a 10 million piece jigsaw puzzle. So, you know, science wants us to believe that we evolved from Ponce line. They tell us that over several billion years, amino acids mixed with the primordial soup, as they refer to it, and magically created life as we know it. Now, strangely, they've never managed to replicate this process. You know, of course, this isn't just another scam, just like several others, like the Globe Earth, the Big Bang, for example. Um, so, you know, let's have a look at a, a few details, if I may. Uh, there are two elements to evolution. There's something called macroevolution and microevolution. Um, now, macroevolution, I'm sorry, microevolution is the gradual process of species evolving defense mechanisms as a survival tool. For example, there's a species of moth called peppered moths. And this is just one example from dozens and hundreds that I could pick, which over millions of years adapted to their environment. They actually live on trees with uh, the bark, which is colored exactly the same as their wings. And over millions of years, they adapted to this environment because it provides them with camo camouflage. And with each tiny change and each tiny modification, they got better and better able to evade predators. And of course, the better protected ones became the ones whose genes will be passed on to their offspring. It makes absolute sense that, doesn't it? Because, you know, um, the, the ones that um, have that, those markings are less likely to be eaten by predators. And so therefore they are the ones that survive and pass it on to the, their, um, their uh, descendants. And that makes absolute sense. But what I do have a serious problem with is macroevolution, which is a completely different concept. And this involves the changing of one species into another over time, which is impossible. And even, even evolutionists, believe it or not, actually say that, that it's very very highly unlikely 
no change of that nature has ever been recorded and the fossil record absolutely proves this to be the case despite what evolutionists tell us they they tell us the opposite they say that the fossil record you know proves their uh, theory and by the way you notice in the title of the theory of evolution that it's always referred to as a theory it's never regarded as a fact although it is taught as a fact to children which is extremely deceptive so if there was such a thing as macroevolution surely there would be thousands of examples of interim species you know halfway house species you know that, that were actually in the process of changing but that's never been, there's never you know the missing link as it's called there has never been a single example of a missing link evolutionists talk about finding the missing link between apes and humans but they never talk about the missing links between all other species because it's just impossible it, how is it possible to have a creature that falls part way between two distinct species how is it possible for example to evolve an eye or a kidney or a lung you know just think about it for a moment what for a moment what use would a partially developed organ be to any creature you know for example how is it possible for a fish to develop legs and turn into reptiles because that's what we're told has happened are we supposed to believe that a fish randomly began a process that would take millions of generations to complete when uh, the actual process of well the actual beginning of that process would be of no use to that that organism whatsoever because you know what use is a partial leg to anything and why would it do it in the first place it doesn't make sense you know even darwin himself admitted that interim species were totally impossible he actually said and i'll, I'll, I'll read this quote out he said by this theory innumerable transitional forms must have existed why do we not find them embedded in the crust of the earth why is not all nature in a confusion of halfway species instead of being as we see them well well-defined species and darwin's answer to that particular question that rhetorical question was that um uh you know at that point in time because obviously evolution was only formulated a few years before he died there hadn't been enough time to find these species but now 150 years or more after his death we still haven't found any not a single halfway species have we found none of it makes any sense at all <laughs> you know uh yeah I'll, uh, here's a quote by an evolutionary bi biologist at harvard university a guy by the name of stephen gold and he actually said and don't forget this is an evolutionary biologist he said the known fossil record fails to document a single example of evolution accomplishing a major transition every paleontologist knows that most species don't change i mean you know <laughs> how can we you know how can we um argue with that i mean he's absolutely right and there's a great quote from Tesla, uh, Nikola Tesla, which I don't have to hand, but the gist of it was that, you know, science has gone astray. It goes off into masses of theories now. There is no hard facts anymore. Nothing, mm. nothing is hard and fast. It's all about theories. And the reason they do that, of course, is because it gives them carte blanche to form a world for our consumption that fits their narrative, that fits their agenda. And this is why they do it. So if evolution is bunk, what is the real origin of humanity? 
Right. Well, in my book, I actually talk about a guy by the name of uh, Zachariah Sitchin, who um, who formulated a theory that we came from outer space, that we were um, part of a, shall we say, a, a it's unknown as to whether it was a, a kind of a, a seeding experiment, you know, seeding the galaxy, but I don't believe that anymore. So this is this is one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier that I've changed my mind about. I don't believe that to be the case anymore. I believe in a in a in a creator. I don't believe in the Christian God. I don't believe in the Muslim God. I don't believe in any particular God as such. I don't believe that whatever the creator is is a God. I don't believe it should be worshipped. But I absolutely believe, given the evidence that I've uncovered for, you know the fact that evolution is nonsense. I, I absolutely believe that we were created uh, and that this absolutely fits hand and glove with the flat earth as well. Um, and this is why they don't, this is why they don't want us to know that we're created. As I mentioned before, uh, we're very powerful spiritual beings if we knew it, uh, but that we have that hammered out of us from the first day we go to, to primary school. Uh, you know, there are globes all around the classrooms. What the globe Earth model does in conjunction with evolution is it creates a world where we are absolutely nothing. We're just tiny random specks of cosmic nothingness and it denies us our spiritual power. So we believe that we're just one of billions and billions of, of life forms that are scattered around this vast galaxy. And so therefore we're unimportant, we're nothing. Well, nothing can be further than from the truth is what is what I believe. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I have changed my mind. I mean, it's still an interesting chapter. I, I would never, ever decry anyone who believes in Christianity or believes in any religion, Judaism, mm. you know, any devout believers in religion. I mean, I, it's fine. I'm not setting myself up as some kind of a, a fount of all knowledge. It's just what I happen to believe. I, I don't... I don't necessarily believe that we were created by a God. I just think, you know, whatever or whoever it was that created us did not mean to be worshipped. It was just a, a matter of fact, and, it's, and it happened. So, again, it's just my, my belief, Jeremy. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm right and everyone else is wrong, because I don't know. It's just a belief, uh, just like their, their views are just beliefs. They can't prove that, uh, you know, that, that, that this creator god exists just like i can't prove that my version of the creator exists um so yeah i mean i mean just to, just to, uh, there's another interesting quote here um i i actually spoke to a an evolutionary uh biologist who only wanted to be uh, named as sam okay he's a it was a molecular biologist and he said to me it's quite a long quote but it, it's worth listening to he said, to be a molecular biologist requires one to hold on to two contradictory insanities at all times. One, it would be insane to believe in evolution when you can see the truth for yourself. Two, it would be insane to admit you don't believe in evolution. All government work, research grants, papers, big college lectures, everything would stop. I'd be out of a job or relegated to the outer fringes where I couldn't earn a decent living. The work I do in genetic research is honourable, but in the meantime, we have to live with the elephant in the living room. 
intelligent design is that intelligent elephant in the living room it moves around takes up an enormous amount of space loudly trumpets bumps into us knocks things over eats a ton of hay and smells like an elephant and yet we have to swear it isn't there and i think that's not uh, an isolated guy who works in those those fields of research i think that is that is a fairly predominant view okay i mean obviously not it won't be 100% uh, you know, assessment of everyone's views who works in that field, but I think a lot of people, uh, you know, actually know what the truth is, but they're not allowed to come out and say it <laughs> because, again, it doesn't fit the narrative. You know, we're not allowed to, um, or if we do uh, say anything about the uh, evolution being inaccurate, we, we are ridiculed and abused and insulted um so yeah and, and especially people who work in, in that kind of sphere it, it would be the end of their careers if they came out and said that evolution was nonsense because that's how the world works these people have the ultimate control over every element of our lives and it's very very easy for them to uh maintain a situation whereby their narrative is absolutely sacrosanct so people like sam this this uh, uh, genetic researcher uh, are silenced by by the very principle of losing their livelihoods. But I mean, we both know, John, that uh, people are not silenced for speaking the truth. No, obviously, <laughs> obvi- yeah, obviously, uh, no one is ever silenced for speaking the truth. Jeremy. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, you know, people say to me, well, if that was true, John, there'd be hundreds of whistleblowers coming forward. And, and, you know, my response to that is, yeah, well, there are. The problem is, because the mainstream media is controlled by the same people who promulgate all this stuff, they don't have a, they don't have a voice. You know, okay, there's the alternative media, but that is so limited in scope, the alternative media compared to the mainstream media, that they may as well not have a voice, but people do come forward, such as this guy that I've just quoted. You know, people do come forward, such as people who, who, who tell the truth about what's really going on at NASA. Lots and lots of people come forward, but it's never widely publicised what they have to say. And again, it's they're silenced and, and uh, you know, made to toe the line by threats and coercion. The next chapter, which is about Atlantis, how do you how do you join those dots? Um, yeah, um, it's um, Atlantis. I mean, I, I still do. I, I still believe that Atlantis, as a as a civilization, did exist. I think it will be very, very, very difficult to to deny that because there is so there is so much evidence. Um, but as to the actual influence that Atlantis had. Had on our past, it's it's very difficult to say. I mean, I do I do cover a lot of uh, evidence for the existence of Atlantis uh, in in the book, as you say. But as to exactly how much influence it had on our uh, on our lives right now, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people say that Atlantis was a was a very very advanced civilization, and again, there are there are some 
you know, there, there, there's definitely some evidence for that. But, you know, the myths of Atlantis, and, and, and it is really myths and legend rather than absolute fact. They, um, oh, so, sorry, for those people who don't know, it was, it was alleged to uh, be a huge island somewhere between Africa, uh, like in a triangle between Africa, Europe, and America. And it came from uh, Plato, the ancient Greek uh, philosopher and historian. And uh, he was never known to write anything whimsical. He was never known to write anything fictional. All Plato's writings that have been handed down um, are absolutely, you know, verifiable facts for the most part. And, and he wrote serious stuff about Atlantis. So, you know, we've got to, we've got to at least accept that it could well be true. He actually said, and I've got a quote here from the book, Plato said, the island, meaning Atlantis, has a small central mountain surrounded by ripples or water filled with depressions. There are many fissures, not man-made, in the ground. There are lakes surrounding this cone. Hot and cold springs are evident. The lands surrounding this central mountain are very fertile and there are cliffs at the edge of the sea. Now, in Plato's days, nobody knew the existence of volcanoes. Um, and it wasn't until the eruption of uh, Vesuvius in AD 79 that destroyed Pompeii that people actually understood what vo volcanic eruptions were. But that, what Plato just uh, played that quote from Plato, that's quite an accurate description of a volcanic island. So it could be that that central cone that he described could, could have been an ancient dormant volcano, which actually erupted and destroyed the island at some point. Again, I mean, there's no proof. It's all, it's all speculation. But Atlantis could have actually acted as a land bridge, which would explain why some, uh, some species of animals have actually appear in both Europe and Africa and in the New World, in you know, North and South America. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all very fanciful, I, I absolutely admit. But, um, you know, there are some, there is some evidence that, um, uh, you, know, the you know, the technologically advanced society that we have today originally began in Atlantis. Uh, there's a strong possibility, for example, that the Atlanteans were the original uh, pyramid builders and shared their knowledge with their with their neighbours around the different areas of the world. You know, pyramids, as you as most people probably probably realise, are extremely sophisticated structures, and they're often built so that the the angles of them align perfectly with constellations in the heavens. So. You know, I don't believe it's a coincidence that several ancient cultures seem to have spontaneously and independently acquired certain knowledge and skills that were apparently beyond their level of development for the time. As I say, the ability to build a perfect pyramid, for example. I don't believe that that could have been developed by several different cultures independently in such a short period of time, because obviously we've got the Egyptian civilization, South Americans, and certain Asian ones as well. And maybe the truth is that they inherited this knowledge from a from this this previous culture, which was Atlantis, which was somehow destroyed. Most people believe, well, most people, most researchers, most geopolitical researchers believe that the the bloodlines that exist today, the ruling bloodlines, which have been around for millennia, by the way, 
began in you know places like Babylon and ancient Greece through ancient Romans and so through Europe and uh, into you know uh, eventually of course spread across the world into uh, North and South America. Are these bloodlines significant? Are they important? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because these bloodlines are the very are the same families that have existed almost from the beginning of time, as far as we know. And it's the same people, the same their descendants that carry on the tradition of dominating the world. And uh, you know, this is this has become in many ways easier and easier with all the technology as it, as technology has developed over the millennia. You know, that's that's becoming easier in that respect. But it's also becoming harder for them as well because people are becoming more aware. You know, technology is also creating the ability for people to research things for themselves. I mean, at one time, you know, going back even, say, 100, 150 years, there was no opportunity for ordinary people to, to do any kinds of research. You know, up until 200 years ago, for example, most people were illiterate, you know, so they couldn't even read or write. So it was impossible to find out anything other than what, at that time, of course, the church told them and you know the government and the newspapers or whatever so it was impossible to to for them to form an opinion about the rights and wrongs of anything these people told them obviously as time's gone on as i say and the technology become available people have begun to question things and this has made it difficult for them and this is where we're going with um with the, the prevailing agenda isn't it you know we talk you know I'm sure people have heard talk of Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. Well, Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, in my view, are just the next phase in their attempt to subjugate us all because they are running scared. There's no doubt about it. In my view, these people are now running scared because they are re they're realising that they're losing this absolutely vice-like grip on us all. So this is their attempt, and I won't go into the details of Agenda 21 and 2030, because uh, that's getting off topic, but this is what their, their next, the next phase of their uh, work of ages, as they call it, is. And, it is, and it, again, it's about what we talked about right at the very beginning, Jeremy, it's about this control, it's a way of controlling us. They're getting more and more scared of us as we become more powerful. So they're having to think of more and more ways of controlling us. And, uh, you know, th th this agenda is accelerating, as we've seen in the last couple of years. And it's going to continue to, uh, to accelerate if we, uh, if we don't stop them. In the same part of your book, you, you dedicate um, a, part, a portion of it to the Great Library of Alexandra. Why is yes. this significant? Right. Yeah, good question. Well, the Great Library of Alexandria is a very important historical event. Um, you know, the, 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 the great, the great library of Alexander was almost the fount of all recorded knowledge for many, many years. And it was deliberately, it was deliberately destroyed. The reason it was deliberately destroyed is, and it comes back to, again, this big 10 million piece jigsaw puzzle. It was destroyed because they don't want us to know the real truth about our origins. Everything was in there uh, and they don't want us to know the truth about 
basically anything else either. So again, I'm 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 struggling a little bit here, but um, yeah, it was so it was actually burned to the ground. Okay, uh, nobody knows for sure what date it was, but we know it exists, and we know it was a central archive for all the knowledge of the known world at that time. And obviously, Alexandra's in Egypt, in North Africa. So, you know, it was a the, the library was a repository for most of the ancient knowledge, passed down throughout the millennia, and stored there in you know in the form of scrolls, and which were all had all been uh, written and copied by an absolute army of scribes. If we now had access to that knowledge, which was deliberately destroyed at that time. Then this world would be a totally different place today where false history false versions of history are the norm and obviously grand deception is is the uh is, is very much the way of the world so yeah um you know it's the same thing they do throughout history by destroying ancient tribal knowledge you know such as the british empire the spanish french dutch and the americans latterly they spread their false doctrines throughout the world um so you know and in the process destroying ancient civilizations such as the aztecs the mayans the zulus the native australias the incas and native americans you know which were who you know people who were firstly subjected to brutal conquest and then eventually if they didn't weren't completely destroyed total westernization while their ancient knowledge was eliminated and this ancient knowledge had often been passed down from generation to generation for millennia it was systematically eliminated to protect the narrative so yeah there, there was a museum at the library of alexandra which was a place of study which included lecture areas gardens even a zoo um and over a hundred scholars lived there at the full time. They were researching, writing, and lecturing on all human knowledge. Some people think that the library was uh, destroyed as early as the third century AD, while it could have been actually as late as the seventh century AD, and nobody really knows for sure. Okay, but most uh, credible historians actually ascribed the the destruction of the library to the holy roman emperor theodosius the first who was a violent and fanatical christian so uh there was another library as well which is called the daughter library which is a smaller version of it and that was also destroyed as well so basically it was it's believed that it was early christians who destroyed all that ancient knowledge because it didn't fit within their narrative okay so i mean christianity was was born through extreme violence and it's been kept alive by the same horrible methods for for many centuries you know so yeah nobody really knows for sure these this is all speculation but yes um the the there's some total knowledge of all the all the, the everything that mankind had uh, believed and 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 known to be the truth in the millennia leading up to you know a couple of thousand years ago was stored in the great library and it was all destroyed which was then enabled which enabled them to falsify history could it be argued that if history repeats itself the internet could be the new library of alexandria Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, you know, people say this to me and I say it to pe other people as well. And that is that, you know, buy hard copies of books. Don't buy Kindle because you could lose them. You know, they, they, you know, they, they could manufacture a situation where electronic books are no longer allowed. It would be very hard to take everyone's books off them buy hard copies if there's any book that you really covet and you want to keep a hold of don't don't keep it on as a kindle or an electronic version buy a hard copy because that's the way we'll protect knowledge if there if there is any kind of bubblings under the surface you know that people are beginning to become aware of something or that something is going in a direction that they don't want them to go they will promulgate promulgate a, a series of false flags or an individual false flag that's designed to fool the victims into believing and the public as well of course into believing that it was carried out by totally different entities to those who were the actual perpetrators and every time there is a false flag event and there are and, and they're they're increasing in number exponentially as time goes by it's for to it's to satisfy a particular agenda it's to fool people into thinking that, that the world is a different place to what it actually is you know that obviously i think the most probably the most famous false flag was 9-11 wasn't it which um although it perhaps wasn't the most deadly false flag i think there are some more recent contenders for that um but you know that 9-11 was perpetrated to actually uh facilitate the manipulation of public opinion into believing that attacking the Middle East was a good thing because we don't want these Muslim terrorists, we don't want these Muslims coming over here and destroying our precious way of life. You know, we have to do something about it. And it's, you know, it derives from something called the Hegelian dialectic. As some, some people know it, uh, uh, you know, problem, reaction, solution, create a problem which is going to uh, evoke a particular reaction and then very handily provide the solution, which is the result that they wanted in the first place. So yeah, the, 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 the 9 11 false flag uh, served the purpose of demonizing the Muslim population of the Middle East and uh, arousing public opinion against the invasion of Iraq, uh, which happened, you know, a couple of years later. Uh, you know, and it was, it was strangely enough, it wasn't even Iraqis allegedly that did it. it was, they were allegedly Saudi Arabians, but of course we know that you know it didn't really happen at all in the way that it was. Well, I mean, come know. on, John. I mean, in the West, we look at we look at all those Middle Eastern people, and they're all brown, and they all look the same. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't tell Let's the difference. Some brown people. No, that's right. Let's bomb a few brown people. You know, that'll uh, that'll get the public on our side, won't it? <laughs> yeah but it, i mean that's just one example of course i mean false flags and false flags have been going on for centuries upon centuries um you know i mean even the death of julius caesar was wasn't in the way that it was told you know caesar was a uh, had been a although he was an authoritarian in many ways he had been a great ruler you know he, he'd been uh uh promoting policies that helped the, the ordinary people and he, he made them uh you know he, he, he was one of the people the many people who have tried to stamp out usury and uh being assassinated for it and there's a long list of those uh so yeah he was probably one of the first ones that was assassinated for that reason
that's just again it's just one incident of of many you know and i i do cover a lot in the book and obviously too many to go into in such a you know a vehicle as this but you know there's there's so so many um and it's just about as i say furthering agendas um yeah um i, I mean there's a good quote here actually from the book i've just uh, just pulled the page up now and it's a guy, by a guy called Stephen Lendman, who was a researcher such as myself. And he wrote uh, a piece called False Flags in American Tradition. And he said, and I quote, past US false flags provided pretexts for militarism, wars, occupations, domestic mm -hmm. repression, and national security state extremism, antithetical to democratically free and open societies. Sums it up in a very concise sentence. Uh, there's a quote in your book that's, that's even more concise from Voltaire. History is a lie. Voltaire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. History, history is a lie upon. commonly agreed upon. That's right. And it is. It's so, so true. Almost, again, you know, repeating myself here, Almost the entirety of history and what you believe you know about history is wrong. Now, when did you start thinking about this? Right, okay. Well, it was one particular incident that set me off down this road. And anyone who's heard any of my podcasts before, I do apologize because they're probably sick of hearing me say it. But I always get asked this question, you know, what, what began my journey? And it was the fact that uh, in August 1997, I had uh, some friends who were in Paris the night that Princess Diana was murdered. Sorry, died. And um, they, <laughs> they'd gone back to their hotel room that evening and they switched on the TV and they were very tired and they were just sat on the bed and they were kind of half watching it. And then they saw this, this face appear on the, on the TV screen and it was Princess Diana. And she was being escorted from this car wreck into an ambulance and they couldn't believe it because the next the next morning when they woke up i mean she was walking right um the next morning when they woke up she heard that she'd died and they couldn't believe it because they'd seen these images of her walking into the ambulance from the car wreck and they came back and, and they told me about this no that can't be right surely and they absolutely swore blind that it was the truth. And I believe them because they weren't the kind of people who would make that stuff up. And, you know, it was that that kind of made me think, wow, we're being lied to. And so I, you know, gradually began trying to research. This was in the very, very early days of the internet, of course. And there wasn't that much information around. Um, but, um, you know, slowly, slowly over the years, I began to piece together this, this incredible uh, information that just absolutely proved me. And this, this was the beginning of my 10 million piece jigsaw, you know, but I only had the corner pieces and one or two bits around the edge in place at the minute at this point in time. So I couldn't actually see the bigger picture. But slowly over time, 9-11 was another thing that, that kind of pushed me further down the road. Um, but it, it, it slowly began to dawn on me that, you know, the world is, is a lie. You know, history is a lie. Everything is done for effect. Everything, every major incident in history is, okay, I'm not saying it didn't happen, 
but it certainly didn't wouldn't have happened for the reasons that they tell us it happened it's all to promote an agenda of control purely and simply so yeah that was the beginning of my journey um and uh it uh, it took me a while and then I, I began writing articles and getting them published on various websites and then people used to say to me, well, why don't you write a book? You've got so much information tucked away there. You know, why don't you write a book? And that's, that's why I wrote The Falsification of History, which was the first of my eight books to date. And I, I've got a ninth in the pipeline now as we, as we speak. So, yeah. What, is, been, what uh, is the ninth one about? A long road. Uh, the ninth one is about um, uh, Agenda 2030. It's about, you know, where we're we going next if they allow it, if we allow them to do it. It's about the agenda that's coming on down the road, which is not very nice, not very pleasant. But uh, how do we not allow them? We no, we don't allow them by making people aware of what is going on, and people are becoming aware. And I am absolutely convinced that these perpetrators, these people, are know that they're running out of time. They are absolutely accelerating the agenda. Um, you know, the, 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 for example, the war in, in Ukraine at the moment, it's this is a false flag. This is not no. really, it's not no. really about what they tell us it's all about. This is this is a war to enable them to, uh, to for, for certain increase energy prices, you know, because all the, all the uh, European energy, a lot of it comes from Ukraine pipelines. Um, Ukraine is also the breadbasket of Europe. So we're now experiencing food shortages, supply chain problems. It's just, it's a continuation of COVID, basically. It's a continuation of the COVID narrative, which was designed to to um, basically kill us off because that's, you know, that's, that's the agenda. The agenda is 95% reduction in population. So this is the next phase. Okay, uh, I mean, I won't go into too much detail about that because I was getting off topic. But, but um, yeah, so it's it's about where Agenda Twenty Thirty wants to take us, where they want us to be, and uh, yeah, there's there'll no doubt be a chapter in there about you know how we go about making sure it doesn't happen, because I believe that we have a lot more power than people believe, and and the powers that be know this as well. And this is why they want to control us. You know, the ultimate is transhumanism, which is, again, you know, it's a few years down the line before it actually comes to pass. But they see that as their end game. Once they once they achieve that transhumanism, the human race is finished as we know it. Um, but as I say, don't want to you know worry people. It won't happen because I think I still believe that we have the power to stop them, and that and that. And what that power consists of is knowledge and the dissemination of that knowledge about what's really going on in the world. More, more people have become aware, the harder it will be for them to promulgate this stuff. And I think that they, I think they experienced this with COVID. I, I, if, if anyone out there has read the Rockefeller Lockstep document, I don't know whether you have, Jeremy. Mm, I've, the I've actually got Lockstep it. Document, yeah, uh, it actually states that it was meant to go on until 2025. COVID, and I think they had to curtail it because they knew that people were beginning to get very, very suspicious about it, and they knew. I mean, they're not stupid, these people. You know, they, you know, our adversaries, they are not stupid people. Uh, they make mistakes, 
and I believe COVID was one of those mistakes. Okay, it's allowed them to to move the agenda on in a certain way, but by no means as far as they hoped it would. I think they've had to curtail it a lot sooner, and that's why we see. That's why we're getting our freedoms back at the moment, partially. Okay, there are certain mm. countries that are still you cannot move around to uh, US, U.S. being the major one, um, but. Um, I definitely think that this was planned to go on for a lot longer than it actually has. I'm not saying that they finished. No, 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 they haven't finished. This is, you know, this is just, there'll be another step, but we've not quite reached that yet. And nobody really knows what that will be. But uh, the general trend is towards this transhumanism goal, which I reckon will, they're aiming to do that by the 2030s. Okay, John, in this information war, how can I follow you? Uh, you mean work? work mm. Can you find my work? Yes. Well, I... Okay, if anyone goes to, to, to buy my books, if you go to Amazon, dot, wherever you are, and key in my name into the search bar, you'll find my books. Uh, there are, I have an author page as well, which you can find. Um, anyone in the UK uh, can actually buy signed copies of my books, and you know I, I would provide signed copies worldwide. But the the cost of postage would, would be pre prohibitive for a book that size. It would cost an absolute arm and a leg to send it around the world. But if anyone's listening in the UK, then you can email me at jch one two zero seven five two at gmail.com and I will provide signed copies of my book if you don't want to use Amazon. Um, I also have a BitChute channel called John Hamer Official, three separate words. And I also have a website called, surprisingly enough, falsificationofhistory.co.uk. John Hamer, thank you for joining me in the trenches. My pleasure. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.